Hello there, welcome to the Suffolk Money Podcast. We're delighted that you've been able to join us. Uh, we're supported by Kingsfleet, providers of life-changing financial advice. Of course, the background behind the podcast, there's three things that you can do with your money. You can spend it, so we talk with entrepreneurs, business owners. You can save it, which is why we speak with financial experts, and you can give it away. And that's why we like to discuss uh, issues of the day with uh, community groups and local charities. And today is one of those. Today is speaking with Kate Higgs of Ormiston Families. And it might have been a name that you've heard of, but you didn't really know what Ormiston Families do. So we have that opportunity to find out from Kate about the work that they do, which actually, as I listened to her, began to resonate with me as something way more important than we probably have ever uh, considered before because of the consequences for those people who are impacted and by the uh, broader family and society in which they're in. So this is Kate, uh, Kate Higgs from Ormiston Families. I must apologise for the um, the sound quality isn't that isn't as good as we would have liked. We Between us, Kate and I had terrible internet trouble and, and a delay that would suggest that we weren't both in Suffolk, uh, but we were. Um, the delay felt like uh, Kate was in Asia and I was somewhere in sub-Saharan Africa, but uh, it ended up that, of course, we were both in Suffolk, but it just wasn't a good day for it, unfortunately. But hopefully you're able to make everything clearly understood um, and listen to Kate's really important story, not just about Ormston families, but about how she herself came into working with charities and the uh, circumstances in her life that brought her to that point. Kate, uh, I know we've known each other going back a very long time in different ways, but uh, yeah, good to be able to catch up with you today. No, it's lovely to be here. Thank you, Colin. I really appreciate it. Um, You know, I've got a lot of fond memories of your son, Ewan, who did some work experience with me, God, in 2012. Um, And it's so great to hear how well he's doing now. I think you must be very proud of him. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's lovely to catch up with you. Good of you to say. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we need to find out a little bit about Ormiston families, I think, first. We'll we'll come back to your career in a little while. But what people may have heard of Ormiston, uh, but Ormiston families specifically, what tell us a little bit about them as an organisation. So Ormiston families has been around for 41 years now, which might surprise people. Um It started off in Suffolk in 1981 with a children's centre on Felixstowe Road, which we still own, but we run a a children's daycare nursery out there now. But the story is really quite compelling. So our founder's sister, Fiona Murray, went on her honeymoon um, full of, you know, joy and hope for the future. She always wanted to have lots of children. And very sadly, she was killed on a honeymoon in a car crash. So her family was so devastated that they set up a trust in her name um, in 1969. And then in 1981, um, Ormiston Families was established. So her brother, Peter Murray, still sits on our board. Um, and maintains a really active and support and interest in everything that we do. So I think it, you know, out of tragedy, um, this wonderful organisation was established. And from having one centre in Suffolk, we now operate across the east of England, delivering a multitude of services 
Last year, we worked three and a half thousand children, young people and families across the east of England. So 1969 is when that was sort of originally started. When the started. trust was established. Yeah, goodness so when me. The trust, when they started building the trust and then in 1981, the first children's centre was opened. Wow. It was then known as the Ormiston Children and Families Trust, but we changed the name for Ormiston Families a few years later. How has it spread from that one children's centre? Were there services added bit by bit or did things just spring up? Services added. They were services added, you know, to meet needs. So I guess as the organisation grew and people came in, um, we identified needs and developed services. For instance, our Empower service, which supports women who have had multiple children taken into care. Um, so that was set up because a judge got in touch with us and said he was really concerned that he was saying, seeing the same woman coming into his court um, and, and wanted to know, you know, why they weren't supported once they'd had one child taken into care. So we were asked to, to look at setting up a service to support these women who go through horrendous trauma and loss. Um, and often they themselves have, have been in care themselves or they're suffering from domestic abuse or mental health issues. So there's always a reason why these things happen. And although it's the, you know, the right thing for the child, the women really need their support. So Empower was set up as a result of that. And now um, we operate Empower across the east of England, um, across five counties. So that's fantastic. Um, and then other services get set up. So after Empower, we were asked if we could set up another service to support younger women who are at risk of getting into an unhealthy relationship and potentially falling pregnant and having their children taken away. So again, this is how it happens. We sort of try to meet the need of the people that we work with. Um, other services that we've set up are Breaking Barriers, which supports children who have a parent in prison. Um, we now operate that. It was began in Suffolk, but now we operate it across across all five counties that we work in. And that mainly came out of our work in the criminal justice sphere. For many, many years, we've, um, through a Ministry of Justice contract, run the prison visitor centres um, at the 10 prisons that we operate across the east of England. Um, and the main purpose of that is really to make families feel welcome and less anxious when they come to visit their relatives. It's, it's very, very important that families remain connected to their loved one who's in prison so that the resident in the prison has you know, hope and focus for when they, they do come out, that they've got a family to go back to um, and they're not going to re-offend. It really, really helps with rates of re-offending. So I guess through that, we identified that the children who were coming into prison to see dad um, were anxious and worried um, and so this, this service supports them to let them understand that prison isn't a scary place, that, you know, that dad has been well looked after and that it's important for them to go and see dad. Um, because often children, when they lose a parent to prison, they suffer the same kind of grief and trauma as if, you know, their parent had died because dad, dad is missing. Um, and they, they often 
are stigmatized at school and bullied so then their education suffers and, and their own mental health and well-being suffers so it's really really important that they're supported through that process that's how the organization has grown is just is just meeting those needs of the people that we work with and i think you know what makes me really really proud you know empower is a really sort of groundbreaking service i think the outcomes that it has for the woman that it supports are incredible but that's how it's all kind of grown and then we've also got um two large mental health services that we operate in norfolk and waveney and in cambridgeshire and peterborough we work in an alliance another voluntary organization <clears throat> and the foundation trust nhs foundation trust and we support young people with low to moderate mental health needs uh, and foundation trust with those with higher needs um, so those are two really big services that we operate and then we also have some other services that we don't currently um, offer in Suffolk but our aim is to sort of replicate everything that we do across all our counties so this you know we often get people saying I've seen you offer um, support for new mums can you support me and you know we don't have that in Suffolk yet but we really want to but it all comes down to funding mm, so that's, yeah, yeah I'm sure I'm yeah. sure we need to talk about so funding I know that's important to you yeah yeah, yeah so that that's that's how it's how it's grown um over the last you know 40 years Goodness. and you know we've had services that we've stopped doing as well you know like any charity you know we'll have a service and then it, it does what it needs to do we can't find the funding I mean that that sometimes happens but over the last five years as a as an organization we've decided to focus on four or five core services and ensure that we can replicate them and deliver them across all the counties that we work in rather than lots of little other services it's much easier to have a really clear focus um, so that's where we are and it sounds to me as though um, what in some ways a bit like a, a business would identify an area of need or a, a, the, where a service yeah. could be supplied and you would do that from a business perspective in mm -hmm. terms of profit and you look for a little market niche if you like it seems to me as though that's really what almost families has done but obviously what it's dealing with here is people whose impact into society would be significantly enhanced if they can be helped through the particular difficulty that they're going mm -hmm. through at the moment everybody uses the word resilience but i think it's particularly important here um, a lot of people we work with are often judged a lot of the time they're told what they have to do rather than listen to and understand um, and given the tools so that they can make choices in their life mm. you know we we want to understand what their goals are in life and help them reach them rather than tell them what they need to do um and i think it's you know it's it's i think it's really humbling i find it really humbling for a mother that's had a child removed and dealing with grief um, and the loss and the trauma of that happening that you know working with our practitioners you know you see the difference in them that they get out of an unhealthy relationship they start volunteering these are all baby steps but it, it, it's the positive steps that will you know maybe one day lead to them to being able to have a child and and to parent successfully um, rather than you know sometimes which can be action if a woman has had a child you know to go and fall pregnant again i i think it's 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 a really really powerful thing 
Um, and likewise, you know, with the young women that we work with, to see them, you know, going to college, getting into housing, having a fantastic boyfriend. You now, I just think it's the things that we probably take for granted when you haven't had good parenting as a child, because we all are all a result of, you know, love matters. I think for me, love matters. Love makes you who you are. And if you're not loved as a child, it can really impact on who you are as an adult. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that we go in as, as the parents, but I just think that the, the care and the understanding and guidance that we give, rather than telling people what to do, makes a huge difference to their lives. So I'm assuming then that there's evidence that suggests that that actually if you haven't had um, some stable parenting, um, yeah. that actually you're you're probably more likely to find parenting more difficult. Yeah, and there's a stat: forty percent of mothers who've lost their children in the family courts have spent time in care themselves, right. and that's that's the stat. And also, if you, if you want to look at the finances of it, it costs one hundred and sixty thousand plus a year for a child to be in care or in a children's home so you know if, if you wanted to look at the sort of finances of us preventing more children going into care it's also a huge um saving to the public purse but you know that's not the most important thing for me the most important thing is can these women hope and support mm. um and you know we say a brighter future but actually yes it is Mm. yeah but that's really interesting yeah i mean the the financial bit actually i think is quite important because i think yeah the priority is the individual isn't it that's absolutely the priority we want them to be able to um you know establish a life that is better than it would have been otherwise that's that's critical isn't it but actually i think some of us do forget that there is a significant cost in society of picking up the pieces where things go horribly wrong and yet an earlier intervention by organizations like yours um can just make such a difference to a family's outcome yeah and it's just breaking cycles that's all it is you know and just i think a lot of us, all we want is somebody to listen to us and understand us, you know, and get us, you know, understand that these things happen because there was a backstory. Mm. Um, it, it's hugely, hugely important. And, you know, and I think you can be the earlier intervention with women is, you know, 20% of the women that we work are, have, are in care, 25% have safeguarding involvement at the time of the referral, um, 20% have mental ill health you know they come with really chaotic and complex life lifestyles and really and and suffering a lot of traumatic childhood experiences and again they just need that support and we don't put a time span on how long we support them so a lot of lot of services are time limited you know we'll give you eight sessions and then that's it we don't um i mean i know that some women they've been supporting for two years and they're still not ready to go and that's fine mm. we'll support them for as long as they need us mm. and, I, and i think that's that's really important what you're also doing is spotting the fact that all all these individuals who you're working with they have a potential that if we just sort of almost just ignore and just uh, think well you know they're just let them 
let them go you know it's that's just an, a dreadfully fatalistic way of dealing with things where whereas the intervention and the support that you're giving is spotting the potential that all these people have and making the most of that opportunity i totally agree with you do you know what um these women can go on to greater things they can they can go on to raise a family hopefully maybe not but they can go on to work you know back into society but i I think everybody has potential and, you know, it's really interesting and, and it's not kind of related to this, but um, the first children's centre that we ran back in 1981, when we were having our 40th anniversary celebrations, we thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could find, you know, some of those people that we worked with back in the 40 years, but of course, you know, we didn't have databases in those days. So there were very, there was very little, records of of the people that we work with i am um, i'm really good friends with sue carter who runs image salon it's a very well-known beauty salon um, in ipswich and we were just chatting and she said are you still working in london i said no sue i've been working for almost and families for the last couple of three or four years she said oh my god when she was a single mum a young single mum i think she was about 15 and she'd had her daughter naomi she went to children's center where we supported her to fish her education um, and and help her with naomi she is now a hugely successful businesswoman and naomi is also a hugely successful businesswoman and i just think you know, that that is an incredible story mm-hmm. so and that's just you know conversations you have have with people randomly you know so all of those, I, I just think everybody's got potential to be who they want to be. Not everybody wants to be a successful businesswoman, but I think everybody's got potential. And sometimes you just need a bit of support and guidance. And, you know, somebody to say you can do it. So yeah, it's, no, it's really important. Yeah, no, you're absolutely spot on. And I think this is the difficulty is now that we can be tempted to just assume that someone is has failed in life and therefore they can be written off but actually as you say there's so many successful people out there who haven't had a great start in life but with some additional support and help they've been able to make something of it which is yeah wonderful great stories to to have um so that just uh leads us to you you were saying that you've been uh, almost in yourself almost in families for was that three four years now or, no five or, years now it's five years now yeah i can't believe it yeah five years so um, how long have you been so in the working, charity sector yeah yeah tell us a little bit about the background since, in your... so i've been in the charity sector since 2006 um before that i was at archant for 12 years in sales and i've always been in sales and marketing don't know why i fell into sales and marketing i just did um so with Archant for 12 years and then before that with ad agencies here and then before that in Zimbabwe because that's where I grew up so I worked for Young and Rubicon I know so yeah my parents moved out there when I was a toddler so I I grew up was Rhodesia then Mm -hmm. so I grew up in small time small town Rhodesia and then we moved to the capital when I was a bit older um and my first job was actually in the Houses of Parliament when Rhodesia was going through the transition to becoming Zimbabwe. So I saw all of that happen. Um, and then I, I got a job with an ad agency and found that I really liked 
account management and, and business development. And I've, I've stayed in that, that field for the rest of my career. Do you think that, that um, seeing Rhodesia, Zimbabwe now, um, in, in, in the, that time has had an impact on you then through your life in the sense of, you know, why you've been, you, you felt the need to be involved in um, charitable work? I think so. I, I, th- I think so. I think, you know, growing that up there as a child, I mean, I, I have to say I had a pretty idyllic um, childhood, very, very carefree, probably very, very different to here. You know, we were sort of barefoot and on our bikes most of the time. And I think for a long while as a young child, I was kind of unaware of what was wrong with Rhodesia as it was then. Um, you know, there were separate schools. Um, you know, there was, it was, I, I, I suppose as a younger child, I didn't kind of get it. Um, and, you know, my parents were very good at making sure that we were always respectful. Um, but when I was older, I think when I started working, I, used to, I just used to think this is not right. So when, when you know, the transition happened and Robert Mugabe came into power, I would, you know, I was actually really hoped that significant changes would be made and that, you know, it would be a fairer society for all, because that's what I wanted. But unfortunately, as we know, that's not happened, which is incredibly disappointing and, and I think really sad for all those people that put all their faith in him. Um, but while I was in Zimbabwe, my brother sadly fell ill, had an operation, had a blood transfusion, and that blood transfusion was infected with HIV. Oh, goodness. So, um, yeah, and this was in 1984 when it was, you know, a new, I suppose, a new disease. So hugely scary and, and you know, not knowing what the future was for him. But he did live with it for 13 years, got married, had two children. He came back here in about 1987, and he was actually one of the pioneers for all of the treatments now that, you know, are lifesavers for um, people that get infected with HIV now. Um, But he had his last few weeks in St Elizabeth Hospice, Mm. and I was in the hospital having my daughter Georgia, and he was in the hospice, sadly, dying. And my poor mother was, you know, going, coming and seeing me, the joy of a new granddaughter and going to the hospice, um, you know, seeing her son sadly dying. Um, and I think that was a kind of pivotal moment for me where I, I, I just found it really odd that this wonderful place, the hospice, you know, where they couldn't have been kinder and more supportive and, you know, for want of a better word, gave them the best send off that he could possibly have wasn't funded by the government that you know they had to raise probably 90% of their funding through the generosity of the public and I just thought that's not right um and you know here am I doing sales and marketing for newspapers and ad agencies surely I can use that experience to do something to raise funds for the hospice or other charities so I kind of sat tight and waited for a job to come up and but a couple of years later, a job came up at the hospice. So um, I, I decided to apply for it um, and was successful. And my first job was actually running their charity lottery, um, which again raises so much money, you know, selling it, making people buy more numbers on their lottery. And um, 
and I really enjoyed that and it was really lovely to see you know the money coming in but knowing because obviously if you're in sales you you like to see you know you like to meet targets and um but it was good to know that that money was going to support the hospice services so that mm -hmm. was my and I got the fundraising bug so then job came up at out and about and that's where we met um, of so it supported um, children with disabilities to take part in universal leisure activities. So not go to, you know, special activities. Children with disabilities want to do the same things that everybody does. So we had young volunteers who would um, support them. So it was like going with a friend to crown pools or go bowling, go to the cinema, whatever they wanted to do. It was fantastic. I, you know, I, I thought it was a... A, a brilliant organization but sadly a lot of the government funding cuts because we were heavily supported by um, local authority um, funding 2009 a lot of those were cut um, and unfortunately the organization didn't survive which was really sad but I, I I always think you know I wish somebody would kind of pick that up and do something similar because it it was an amazing organization and i think the young people that were supported through that it, it was just brilliant and that's where i met you and didn't he yes yeah no it, it was an amazing thing because it was actually again it's a gap that you just think actually this absolutely needs to be filled why why should those who who uh, you know don't, maybe don't have all the full capacity of everything be able to to have to be segregated out? Why can't they just be with their friends, with more um, uh, people with disabilities going into mainstream education and so on? Then their their friends are, uh, are with them all the time, apart from when exactly. someone organises something that they then have to be separated out into. So yeah, they, yeah it's such a great idea. Yeah, I really loved it. And then after that, I um. I thought I got I want to go and work in London I thought it would be very glamorous going and working for a national charity I, I did enjoy it and actually it gave me a lot of skills that I probably didn't have beforehand so I mm -hmm. I, I think you know working for a national charity is, is a good way of really developing you know those skills and I enjoyed it and you know but I just think it became quite tiring all the traveling because it was a national charity so I could be in Scotland one day, Leeds the next, London. Um, but yeah, so and then one morning I was, you know, looking through my phone and this job at Austin Families came up, director of um director of fundraising there. I thought, oh, I don't know whether I can do that, you know, because I was I was fundraising manager. I thought, well, I'll try. I thought, can I can't I? You know, you have this imposter syndrome. Um, I thought, no, I'm I'm gonna do it. Because I'd heard of Ormiston Families before. I'd met their previous, I think she was their development, development director. I'd met her at a course in London and she talked about the work. And I thought, God, that sounds so interesting. So anyway, I applied for it. I thought I didn't do very well in the interview. Um, I had to do a, um, a talk, a presentation. And you might find this surprising, but I really do not like doing public speaking. Um, <laughs> So I get really anxious and, you know, I was just like, oh, and I didn't feel I did a really good job of the presentation, but they called me up and I got the job and I was absolutely over the moon. Um, and I haven't looked back because I, I really, I feel so passionate about the work we do. Um, and, you know, the ability to, to, with my, I've got an amazing team, I've got a team of experts to make 
help our practitioners make a difference um, through raising funds is, you know, hugely important to me. And it's what keeps me, you know, going. I never wake up and think, oh, you know, I think, what have we got to do today? And I say, I'm lucky I've worked with an amazing team of people on my team, but across the organisation, you know, I think there's a real shared passion um, and an understanding of our strategy and, and where we want to go as an organisation. And, and, and I also think that, you know, the way that we treat our staff is, is amazing. It's a wonderful culture where wellbeing is front and centre of everything we do. The wellbeing of the people we work with, but the wellbeing of our staff is 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 hugely important as well. Mm-hmm. And, I th- and I think you've got to look after your staff. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so just um, thinking of this issue that, you know, there all this responsibility is sitting on you for the fund side of things. So um, I take it there's a certain budget that you need to bring in, you know, over the course of the year. Do you also have um, contracts, um, you know, with local we government do. support and so on? And then the shortfall is really all sitting with you. Is that how it all works? Yeah, that, that's, that's how it sits with us. So um, our income... This last financial year is about 9.7 million. Six and a half of that is through contracts. So our two mental health services in Cambridgeshire and Peterborough, Suffolk, Norfolk and Waverley are funded through um, ICBs and the prison visitor centres are Ministry of Justice contracts. So the remaining, our remaining services are all funded through voluntary funding. So that three million ish um, so that's Empower, which I've spoken to you. You can be breaking barriers and small steps together. Um, and we've also recently um, merged with a smaller charity in Cambridgeshire that delivers children's bereavement services. Um, it's called STARS. So we're del- um, delivering that in Cambridge at the moment. But obviously, you know, our ambition would be to replicate that across the region. So those all need funding through the generosity of trusts and foundations. We've got some amazing individual donors. Um, And over the last four years, the support from corporates has grown so much. I mean, I guess four years ago, we probably had very, very little corporate support. But now we've got some amazing corporates supporting our work. Um, And, and, you know, I, I do anticipate that in the next few years as well so so that's our that's my team's responsibility um and also i'm in charge of well, not in charge of but you know i i work with the comms team as well to make sure that our brand is you know it's I, you know people go on about branding but i actually think it's really 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 important so people understand who you are what you stand for for um so, it, you know, I will always, I'm a bit of the brand police, but it's really important um, that we're able to go out and, you know, tell the stories of the people that we work with. So I think so that people really understand why it is, you know, what we do and, and understand people's backstories and, and the impact that we do make. Mm. So... Yeah, wow, there's a lot that's sort of sitting as your responsibility, it really is now, everything from fundraising to how people outside perceive what you do. 
Um, so yeah, there's a lot there, isn't there? Uh, so on that bit about perception and conveying the stories, I mean, you've done that very eloquently this morning, but um, in our conversation. But how do how 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 can you do that in in a way that communicates that message really quite succinctly? Because there's so many different services that you offer, and there are things which are, as I say, they're they're in many ways probably quite marginal. Mm-hmm. aspects but obviously not for the individuals involved <laughs> you know these are really really critical for them but they're probably not the big things that we see and often when we think of charity we think of cancer charities we think of those that work with children and yeah. so on um so how can you get that message across because these are really important matters they're hugely important so i always think the storytelling is hugely powerful I think if you can tell the story of one person, um, you know, I think if I was talking to an individual donor, I would always find out what their interests were, whether it's, you know, if they're interested in, you know, woman and equality, you know, we, we've always got lots of stories that we can tell. I think if you you tell that one story and it's really powerful and then you can prove um, we've got a fantastic impact and insight, head of impact and insight. She's absolutely fantastic and works across the organisation so that we can show through robust monitoring um, and evaluation impact of our work. Then people really get it and they see the importance. So developing really powerful stories and we've got plenty of them on the, on our website is one way is one way of doing it and then of course we've also got the financial so if people are more interested in you know what difference does that make to sort of you know public funding um we've got all these figures that we can show you know by supporting empire for interest um instance it will you know potentially save um public funding this mm-hmm. amount of money um so i think i i t- we tend to adapt the way that we fundraise with who we're speaking to you know i think that you, you can't go in with a one size fits all i think you have to find out what interests somebody and then tailor it to that mm-hmm. we are, i think once you start sharing those stories it's very powerful you can almost see people think oh, okay, I get it now. Because I think a lot of time people will come with preconceived thoughts about, you know, women who've had their children taken into care. But actually when they understand the reasons, it completely flips a switch. Um, And it's actually really interesting to see that. Yeah, well, that's really, yeah, absolutely it. So how do you then break down that that three million or so that you need a year? Do you work on... you know, a certain amount that's assumed that will come in from private donors, a certain amount from corporate, and then how do you um, go about uh, getting that message out? We've got a fantastic trust and foundations team. So after, over the last five years, we've built up um, a portfolio of, of trust and foundations that support our work um, and often give repeat funding for projects as well. So I have five people working the trust and foundations team and we apply to large trusts and, and a lot of smaller family trusts as well. So they can, you know, vary from the, the lottery children in need to, you know, a smaller family trust. And we work really closely with them and um, we have to apply. We don't, can't, they don't just give us the money. We have to, like everybody else, put in an application, you know, wait for a decision. 
and then throughout the term of the grant you have to make sure and for me gratitude is hugely important and whatever form that gratitude is uh, making sure that they know how we spent the money and the difference it's made so reporting and keeping in touch with those trusts is hugely important to myself and the team so um and then i have corporate fundraising team so they over the last few years have really grown that income stream and it's a case of going out and networking meeting corporates talking about the work we do um and hopefully they decide to support us and over the last few years we've had some amazing corporate support so not only do they you know raise funds for us in fact one of our corporate supporters is running the marathon um uh we've got a, a fantastic uh, global resourcing company based in Ipswich, full of young people. It's seven resourcing, nearly all their staff are young themselves. Um, and their MD is absolutely fantastic. He believes in the potential of, of young people. So um, it's great to work with him. His team, they're all, they've got 13 of them doing the whole hog this week. They've jumped out of planes for us. But the great thing is they're keen for us to go in talk about the work we do and we've even um we've got a fantastic team of mental health first aiders gone and spoken to them about their mental health and well-being so we try to put something back um so it's not a one-way ticket really mm. and then we have um some fantastic individual donors who are incredibly supportive of our work um again really passionate and you know always want to know what's going on, how they can help, how they can, you know, I, I think it's great to do that. Um, we've run some fantastic events. Only a couple of weeks ago, Alan Titchmarsh very, very kindly um, did a talk for us at, at a lunch to um, raise funds for the charity. Um, and this was actually the day after the Queen's funeral. So I think it was just the tonic that we all needed. And we, we decided to go ahead with it. Um, this was hosted by Lady Tolmash at her home. Lady Tolmash had, has a long association with, with the Queen, as had Alan, and, and they both agreed that the Queen would have wanted us to carry on. Oh. So Alan was hilarious, and he told us so many funny stories of, about many meetings with the Queen, so it was a real tonic. Um, but after his talk, we were able to talk about um, our Breaking Barriers service. You know, that's the one that supports children with a parent in prison. Um, and also launch our um, involvement in the Big Give Christmas campaign. So the Big Give is a national um, match funding campaign um, and we're taking part in it this year. Um, so for one week from the 29th of November, which is Giving Tuesday, we want to raise 10,000 pounds. We've already had 5,000 worth of pleasures from donors, but we want to raise 10,000 pounds, which will help us develop a film and a book um, to support those children affected by imprisonment. Um, it's going to be co-created with young people. So these are young people that we've supported um, and it will be accessible to schools, families and prisons and reflect the experiences and, and amplify the voices of children and young people with a parent in prison. So to reduce the feelings of shame um, and isolation so it's going to be a hugely important resource. And if you look at our website um, on the homepage, we've got an animation, um, which, you know, I, I, I always get quite emotional when I, I watch it because it 
it talks about all the people we work with are often hidden victims. People don't know that's what's going on behind a closed door. Um, but in that animation, there's a young lad called Dylan. So he's going to feature in the book and we're going to tell his story. There's quite a few stories on our website um, if people want to read them. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm sure people will, because I think that then, as you say, just brings to life the the purpose of the organisation, isn't it? That's what you do it for. It's for, for the difference you're making to people's lives. But I'm very, very proud of the animation. I think it's I think it's a, a wonderful piece of work. Um, we work with Yellow Belly. Um, and, you know, it, I, I was yeah bowled over when it was finished. You know, I always have these. I'm one of these ideas people, and I know people go, oh, for God's sake, Kate, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful? And they go, here she goes, off she's <laughs> off again. Um, but for people to translate that into, you know, something so powerful. Um, but anyway, yes, yeah, so it will feature Dylan. So it's a lot to raise in a week, um, but I'm, I'm confident that we can do it. Well, you sound as though you've got off to a very good start with, yeah. with pledges well, already. So the pledges, yes. Yeah, so with the pledges, um, it, it's sort of the way you work. You, you raise 5,000 in pledges in September, um, and then you go into a, a kind of pot for match funding. They decide which projects they'll, they'll match fund, um, and then you, you do the rest of it in the November, that Giving Tuesday week. Mm -hmm. So fingers crossed, because I think this, this, these books um, and the film will be a really useful resource. And the fact that it's going to be co-produced with young people as well. So getting their voices heard is hugely important rather mm. than us deciding. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Well, that's been brilliant just finding out a bit about what you do. I know we've um, we've had some internet trouble during the course of our yeah. conversation, a few interruptions and uh, a bit of a delay, which hasn't been great. So I'm sorry for the times I've interrupted you. But um, <laughs> um, So just as we come to a close then, Kate, what, how does, what's the sort of big ambition for um, Ormiston families? Is there, are there specific things that you would like to be moving forward with that perhaps funding is needed for or that um, that you just feel as an organisation are needs that need to be addressed? I think for us, we, I mean, we've got, our, we've got quite a simple three-year strategy. I think you can sometimes have, you know, a huge, big, thick book, but actually I think you just need to keep it simple. So the main thing for us is to continue to build the resilience of the organisation. So that is, you know, ensuring that, our services are here for the long term, those core services are here for the long term. So we need to, to continue what we're doing in terms of fundraising, but we also need to look at diversifying our income streams um, and finding other ways of funding that. So we've just recruited a fantastic new head of business development and partnerships. And you know, part of that is looking at different ways um, of funding these fantastic services. You know, um, we always quality um, and reach of our services is huge. So like I said, we've got some services in Cambridge, which we don't offer in Suffolk and Norfolk. So we need to look at ways, um, if it's if there's a gap and there's a need, that we, we bring them in. Um, continue to invest in our staff. So the upskilling and supporting staff with their own mental health and wellbeing, I think is hugely important. Um, impact management, again, I think that will always help us be front and centre when it comes to funding decisions if we can really prove the impact so we've got um, we've invested in our 
impact function over the last few years as we've also invested in our fundraising function as well. My team's grown quite a lot over the last year um, out of necessity. Um, you know, we need to fundraise to bring in the money. Mm. It's not just going to come in. Um, and then the environment is a huge big thing for us. We can't make this different to young people without having the environment in our mind. We can do everything for them, but actually, you know, we need to make sure that they do really have a brighter future because, you know, we've played our part in managing our effect on the environment. So we have a, um, our chief executive is passionate and he leads this, which is, you know, amazing. Um, so yeah, the environment is a huge, big thing for us. So it's like bringing all of those things together, isn't it? As you work forward that, I guess, the ways that things were done in the past, you just reassess them and say, can yeah. we do this more efficiently, mm-hmm. you know, without causing more damage to the planet and you know yeah. it's trying to bring everything together I'm assuming that's what it sounds like from what you're yeah. saying yeah so it's it's I think it's a simple but effective strategy yeah you know, um I think that that's what means you know means we'll be here for the next 40 years and yeah we will grow but not for the sake of growth mm. I think we'll only grow when it's needed because I, I I have worked with charities that have grown with no kind of structure that just chase the money which we don't I think it's always wrong to chase the money you should only fund what you need to fund mm. um, rather than being tempted by something mm. um, because it can cause you problems in the end so staying true to your purpose and staying true isn't? absolutely so vision and mission um, yeah. you know and, and we always have to ask that question does it align with our strategy is it us and if it's not then we need to say no um, and, and, I, and that's what I also really appreciate well, that's been brilliant. Lovely to find out about the work that, that Ormiston Families does, but also about you and how you came into the sector and, uh, yeah, the painful experience that you went through that, um, you know, almost ch- changed your direction in life. Kate, thank you for being so open. Yeah, no, 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 it's a pleasure, but thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's Suffolk Money podcast supported by Kingsfleet. Uh, Please do subscribe uh, to this on your podcast provider of choice and do give us a five-star rating if you can so that other people can find the stories that we like to bring from Suffolk. I'm also particularly indebted to Kate Higgs from Ormiston Families, who is our guest today. Kate was really open about the issues that they're looking to deal with, about the circumstances that brought her into the charity sector. And um, yeah, quite a remarkable story about the work which they do um, in quite specific areas that perhaps as community and society, we tend to just all turn a blind eye to. And yet they really do make a difference to people's lives. As always, I'm indebted to the wonderful team behind me who do way more than I do. Uh, So to Joy Day, who works on our website, ensures that everything is in place uh, and all the visuals uh, for Suffolk Money. Uh, To Sally Birch and to Kevin Birch for their skills in booking up speakers, finding really interesting stories to deal with and then producing the finished article. Very grateful to Kevin for his skills there. 
and uh, we just want you to join us next time. Suffolk is a wonderful place. It is full of fascinating locations, lovely scenery, but what makes Suffolk even better is the people. And we've just found that we've got great people to talk to. We love the messages and the stories that they bring us. We love to find out about the work that they're doing. And if you know of a good story, uh, somebody who you feel we could talk to or an organisation that we could find out about, then please do get in touch uh, either through our Facebook page or through our website. And that we hope that uh, you will be able to join us again in the next edition of the Suffolk Money Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye.